0: Would be dismissed for children's church, and I would invite you as we have been looking um, at the Gospel of Matthew, chapter six, the Lord's Prayer. There, if you would open there, we want to read for uh, last time as we're in the forty days of prayer, which conclude on Thursday, and as we look at the last topic today in these 40 days of prayer. We've been looking at a number of different topics. Prayer is worship, it's kingdom partnership, prayer is petition, it's confession, spiritual warfare last week and today as an expression of hope. Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus was asked how to pray, he says, this then is how you should pray, Matthew 6, 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts or trespasses as we have also forgiven our debtors or trespassers, those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then today we are focusing on the part that some manuscripts have, but some do not. that says, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen prayer today as an expression of hope. John Maxwell said, where there is no hope in the future, there is no power in the present. Where there is no hope in the future, there is no power in the present. In other words, what we hope for and what we look forward to in the future is going to directly affect our present. A future that is rooted in Christ and is built upon the righteousness that is found in him for us is going to draw us forward. It's going to give us power in the present. It's going to give us hope. And so what we hope for affects our present. A week ago, yesterday, the uh, Cub Scout pack that meets here at our church had their annual Pinewood Derby. And I uh, was reminded of my days doing the Pinewood Derby. And so you have those cars that you build, you take all the time and you handcraft those. And uh, we were competing, I was competing against guys whose dads were engineers and they would take their cars into the wind tunnel at work and they would like fine tune this thing and there's mine I got like all jagged cuts and all this kind of stuff and they had these wheels that were like perfect and they would just cream me but it was fun and it reminded me, you have these, this track where all the cars are there at the top, and you have those pieces of wood, and then they would flip it down. Those pieces of wood would drop, and it would release the cars, and they'd go down the track towards the finish line. And as I think about hope, and I, I think about that, that Pinewood Derby and those cars hurling down at the finish line, there was great hope when those cars were at the top. My hopes were often dashed by the time they got to the bottom, but I had great hope at the top. What I was looking for and what I was looking forward to and hoping for was that my car was going to come over the finish line ahead of the others. The end was my destination, it was my future, it was what I was hoping for was a win at the end, and that affected how I felt when my car was at the top. And gravity would pull the car down. It would pull it down, that force pulling it towards the finish line. And as I think about that John Maxwell quote, and I think about hope, and I think about what is in the future affecting our present, giving us hope and power, I think about that, those cars being pulled towards that finish line and us being pulled towards the finish line. See, for believers in Jesus Christ, there is great hope because our end hope is Christ. He is the one who pulls us. And our end hope is the consummation or the restoration of all things. That all that is made wrong in this world will be once again made right. And so what is in our future and what pulls us there will give us Today, as we talk about yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, we are talking about those things that are known now. We know that the Lord is the ruler of the kingdom. We know that it is his kingdom. We know that it is his power, and we sense his power, and we see his power at work. And we know that it is his glory and his glory alone. These things that we experience now, but fully one day, we will experience in completion. And so we have hope in this truth as what we know to be true will be fully realized. There are sermon notes, as always, in your bulletins. You can check those out, fill in blanks. There are some extra notes that you will see up on the screen. But this morning, we want to look at three areas. First, we want to understand biblical hope. And we are utilizing a sermon outline that was influenced by Yvonne Marti as part of our staying on course with other Alliance churches who are doing 40 days of prayer. And so we begin with understanding, coming to an understanding of biblical hope. Biblical hope is forward-looking. It's forward-looking. Like those Pinewood Derby cars, hope looks forward. It's a confident belief that is based solidly on the word of God, both the living word, the Lord Jesus, and the written word. The future that is looked toward is not a future of human origin, but rather it is a divinely determined future, determined by God. The result of a biblical hope that is forward-looking, that is based on the word of God and the person of Jesus is that we have joy we have peace. We are able to be patient. We do not have worry. We do not have anxiety. We do not have fear when our faith is forward-looking, when we have biblical hope. Hope is forward-looking faith. Biblical hope is also something that is received. Romans chapter 15, verse 13 says, May the God of hope, in other words, where does hope come from? Hope comes from God. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust or exercise your faith in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because this forward-looking faith, because the future is not, div- is not humanly originated, but rather divinely determined. It has to be received. It is from God. It is of God. And so the hope that we have is not a hope that we come with and develop on our own. It is a hope that is received from God. We must receive it from him. He is the source of our hope. And as he gives us hope, he fills us with joy and peace and faith and trust from the God of hope we receive and overflow with hope by the power of the Spirit. Hope is from God and it is received from him. Hope also is produced in struggle. Hope is produced in struggle. In Romans chapter five, verses three through five, it says this, not only so, and the not only so is the response to verses 1 and 2, which talk about how we are made right with God by grace through faith in Christ. And this causes us to come to a place of rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. And so not only so do we have this hope because of relationship with God by grace through faith in Christ, but we have this hope also because we rejoice in our sufferings. How many love sufferings? I don't see many. We rejoice in our sufferings, Paul says, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character produces what? Hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. We rejoice not only in what Jesus has done by bringing us into right relationship with God. But we rejoice, Paul says, in our sufferings because of what it produces. Perseverance, character, and ultimately hope. How is it that suffering produces hope? Think about it this way. In order for me to try to increase my health, I have been drinking smoothies, drinking them at lunch. Some people are going, yeah, way to go. Other people are going, you're crazy. What's wrong with you? And so I put spinach in, and I put banana in, and I put mango in, and sometimes strawberry and some orange juice and a tablespoon or two of chia seeds because they're power, superfood kinds of things. It's a, I blend them all up, and it comes into this really delicious-looking concoction, and Mara and Leah see me come back to the office at lunchtime sometimes with this, and it, it doesn't look delicious. And I'll drink it, and, and I've come to really like the taste of it. The consistency leaves a little to be desired, but I like the taste of it. It's growing on me. But every time I drink it, I find myself, when I'm done, thinking this. Hmm. I wonder what's for dinner. I just had lunch, but I'm wondering what's for dinner. Because there's something about that, that though it's good for me, and though it fulfills what I need and nutrients and all those things at lunchtime, I'm not terribly satisfied, and I'm a little bit uncomfortable, to be perfectly honest. But it's good for me, so I do it. But it leaves me with this longing, this lack of satisfaction, this last lack of deep comfort, because I'm thinking more, boy, I am not full, I am not satisfied. I wonder what's coming, what's yet for dinner. Now, you know when I don't have that feeling of I wonder what's for dinner? Thanksgiving. When we gather with my family or Steph's family at lunchtime and we eat turkey and mashed potatoes and gravy and stuffing and green bean casserole and sweet potato casserole and corn, however it's done, and there's different, you know, all the rolls and the pies and all of those things, in the midst of that meal, I am not thinking, hmm, I wonder what's for dinner. Why? Why? Because I am perfectly satisfied. I am perfectly full and com- I mean comfort in that moment. I don't need to think about what is coming down the road because I have everything that I need and everything that I want in that moment. See, we don't need hope when we are completely satisfied and when we have nothing that we are longing for or waiting for. In the moment Hope comes when we are looking to the future and saying, "I can't wait for what is better to come. I'm looking forward. And so Paul says that suffering's a good thing and it produces perseverance, it produces character, and it produces hope because when we are uncomfortable, when we don't have everything that we want, everything that we desire, when life is hard, it causes, us not to say, it causes us to say, I don't want to be right here. I want the better. And it causes us to look to the future. It causes us to look forward. And when we look forward and our hope is in Christ and our hope is in the fullness of being with him forever and ever and our hope is in when all things that are wrong are made right when Jesus returns, that gives us hope because we know that in the future, all things will be made right. And it gives us hope in the present. It changes our present when we know what is coming. Jake shared at the end of the service last week about how it is good to be uncomfortable. And when it's, we're in comfort, we don't often see God move and work in our lives but when it's, we step out of our comfort zones, out of our places that are safe and comfortable, that that is where God most often meets us. And so there is a good thing. There's a reason why God allows pers- er, er, suffering so that perseverance, character, and ultimately hope will be produced in us. Understand biblical hope. Hope is forward-looking faith. It's received by God, from God and it is produced most greatly in struggle. Secondly, prayer, as we are in this 40 days of hope, prayer expresses present hope. Prayer is ultimately rooted in hope. We've looked at those things, prayer as worship. There is, it's about hope in the nature of God. Prayer as kingdom partnership, we looked at in week two. That is about hope in the rule and will of God being done here on this earth as it is in heaven. We talked about hope as an expression of our dependence on God. It's a hope in God's provision that he is able to provide. We talked about hope as confession, or prayer as confession. That's about hope in God's forgiveness, So we know for certain that God is a God who forgives when we come and confess our sin. We talked about prayer as an expression of warfare, That there is hope in that, in in the victory and the authority of Christ over both sin and over the devil. Prayer, all the way through, is an expression of hope. It's rooted in hope. All of it is rooted in hope. Prayer, Prayer expresses present hope, but it's also prayer is not wishing. Sometimes when we think of hope, we may think of it not in a biblical way, but in kind of a human way. And we say, I hope so. I hope such and such will happen. I hope so and so will be there. I hope I get such and such for Christmas or my birthday. I hope that they have turkey at the buffet. I hope. We don't know. And we may be completely disappointed by it. Prayer is not a hope so in the sense of an uncertainty. Prayer is not a magic genie kind of thing where we come and we hope God will do something. Prayer is not wishing. Prayer is confident and expectant. In 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, it says this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything, According to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. John says that there is a confidence in approaching God. There's an expectancy in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears And he will give us what we ask. There's great hope in this. There's great confidence. It produces deep confidence. It produces a deep expectation, a sure and certain hope that God will answer. Prayer is an expression of present hope. So does this mean that everything we pray for, everything we ask for, we always get? It doesn't mean that everything we pray for and everything we ask for, even if it is perfectly in the will of God, that we get it in the moment that we pray for it. No. There are things that are fully in the will of God that we do not see the answers to. Immediately, you may not even see the answer to it in your lifetime. But it does not mean that God has not answered and he will not answer. But we know that he will hear us. We know that he will answer. And the result is hope in the present, right now in the present. The answer may still be coming in the future, but the hope is present. Prayer is expression of hope in the right now even for the things that are yet to be future. So when we pray, yours is the kingdom. Yours is the kingdom. What you want done, God, will be done increasingly, both now and forever. Do you see how that gives us hope? When we pray, yours is the kingdom. Is that the will of God? All right, let's try that. When we pray, yours is the kingdom, the rule and reign of God on earth and in heaven forever and ever. Is that the will of God? Yes. So can we pray for the rule and reign of God to come increasingly and forever? Can we pray that with confidence? Yes. Does it happen immediately? Sometimes we see increases, but does the fullness of it happen immediately? No. But it gives us hope in the present because we know we can pray with hope. It expresses present hope as we pray for what we know will happen yours is the kingdom yours is the power when we see things like pandemics when we see things like wars and rumors of wars when we see government or rulers that are rising that are evil will they ever overcome fully the power of god no yours is the power and so we pray god may your power be known may every force that opposes the power of God may it be brought to its knees it doesn't always happen in an instant but we know that the will of God is that there would be no power that will ever forever be able to oppose the power of God and so we pray even in the midst of things that seem like power is coming against and power is opposing the power of God we pray in hope and it gives us hope in the present because we know that it will come and yours is the glory forever Will the glory of God ever be forfeited? <laughs> Will the glory of God ever be able to be opposed forever and ever? No. And so, wherever the knowledge of God has been opposed, wherever people or forces or powers, whatever it may be, tries to steal the glory of God, though it may seem like, boy, God is being mocked, though it may seem like God's glory is being stolen, it's not. And so we pray, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever with great hope, knowing that the glory of God forever will be the only glory that stands. His kingdom will be the only kingdom that endures. His power is the only power that will go unmatched. And his glory is the only glory that will never, ever, ever be given away. And though in the present, in the battles, as we talked about spiritual warfare last time, in the battles for those things though it may seem like, man, things aren't happening and I'm feeling hopeless or I'm feeling in despair or I'm wondering, is God going to come through? We look to the future. And in the future, we know that what God says will come and it gives us hope in the present to pray. Prayer expresses present hope, confidently and expectantly. Lastly, and we wrap up with this, prayer fixes our eyes on Christ's return. We believe that Jesus is our Savior, our our Savior, our Sanctifier, our Healer, and our coming King. And so if you would turn real quick, if you're in Matthew 6, just back one book to Mark chapter 13. We want to look quickly as we see that prayer fixes our eyes on Christ's return. Prayer fixes our eyes on Christ's return. Disciples were at the temple and they were asking Jesus, how do we know when all of the things of the future are going to happen? How will we know when your coming again will happen? How will we know when the kingdom will fully come? How will we know when all of these things that are bad will be no more? Prayer fixes our eyes on Christ's return. And so he tells us this. He tells his disciples and it helps us to see. Prayer fixes our eyes on Christ's return and makes us aware of the signs. Verse four, disciples say, tell us when will these things happen and what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled. Aware of the, sign, the signs. Prayer fixes our eyes on his return, aware of the signs. Prayer also alerts us. It alerts us to a number of things in, chap- in verses five through 23. It alerts us to deception. Verses five and six, Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. If you jump down to verses 21 and 22, at that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and miracles to deceive deceive even the elect, if that were possible." Prayer fixes our eyes on Christ's return and makes us alert to deception, makes us alert also to disasters. Verses 7 and 8, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. Prayer keeps us alert to disasters. Prayer also keeps us alert to various distresses. Verses 9 to 20, you must be on your guard. You'll be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues on account of me. You will stand before governors and kings and witnesses to them, and the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Verse 12, brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Verse 14, when you see the abomination that causes desolation, which was a prophecy from the book of Daniel, standing where it does not belong in the temple, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down and enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in the winter because those will be days of distress, unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of Christ the elect, whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. There will be distress. Very difficult times in the form of persecution, in the form of family breakdown, in the form of hatred against believers that will mark the last days. In the midst of that, prayer keeps us alert to what is going on. Prayer also is what is necessary as we fix our eyes on Christ's return to advance the gospel. As I read in verses 9 through 11 already, Jesus told his disciples and tells us as well to be on our guard because there will be persecution that will come. But the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Matthew 24 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all nations. Not geopolitical nations, not where the borders are, but rather to all people groups, all language groups, all tribes of people. And then, then the end will come. The gospel to all nations is part of fixing our eyes on Christ's return, it's part of why prayer is necessary. And it comes with the warning that it will be difficult. There will be a cost to pay. There will be sacrifice that must be made. For the advancing of the gospel, prayer fixes our eyes on the return of Christ. Lastly, prayer fixes our eyes on Christ's return and brings us to a place of anticipation, of anticipating his return. Verse 23 To 27, so be on your guard. I've told you everything ahead of time. Jesus wants us to know what is to come, wants us to be aware of what is to come. And then verse 24, but in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. A prophecy from Isaiah 13 and uh, chapter 34 as well. And at that time, verse 26 Men will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Brothers and sisters, there is great hope. It's been said that the return of Christ is the blessed hope of the believers. That all these things, all these signs, all these things that sometimes may seem ner- make us nervous things like natural disasters, things like distress, things like, uh, you know, all these things that, that scare us, persecution, that make us go, ah. Jesus wants us to know them because what it ultimately is showing is that Jesus is coming again. And to be aware, and prayer fixes our eyes on his return so that we are not caught unaware, so that we are not caught unready, when our eyes are on Jesus and when we are preparing for his return and about the evangelization of both our neighborhoods and the nations, there will be nothing that will catch us by surprise. Prayer as an expression of hope, the ultimate hope of Jesus returning. Prayer fixes our eyes on his return. Prayer as an expression of hope is, in, is forward-looking, it is expressed in prayer, and it ultimately will be realized and possessed when Jesus returns. But until then, we continue to express our hope through prayer as a people ready for his return. Mayor is going to come and uh, lead us into some ministry time and in celebration of communion together.
1: I'd like to read from Luke's account of the Last Supper. It says that when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And I think that there's this beautiful thing when we hear this message and come together to practice communion, where we are coming together in remembrance of what Jesus has done for us. And we're also coming together recognizing the future hope that we have because of it. And say, um, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we proclaim it to ourselves in remembrance of how we got this saving grace through Jesus' sacrifice. But we also proclaim it to everyone around us, that this is what we believe and that we are holding out for this future hope. Um, So I just ask those who were uh, asked to help serve communion to come forward. Um, When we celebrate communion here, you you don't need to be a member of our church to uh, partake. Um, You just need to know Jesus as your savior. Know him as that future hope.